Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it's great to see you wherever you're watching from. We're so glad that you're here. We are getting ready for our second annual leadership summit. Everybody is invited. You say, Phil, I'm not invited. I'm not a leader. No, really, seriously, everyone is called to be someone's leader. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to make disciples. That makes you a leader. So to get ready, we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 today. And what we're doing is a little flyover, kind of a highlight reel from the book of Acts. And we're pulling out the leadership principles from the early Christian leaders. Today we're going to learn from a man by the name of Philip, an early Christian leader who was one of the seven deacons that emerged in the early days of Christianity. Here's a leadership principle, all right? It's this. Leaders always live with the end in view. In other words, every decision must be made in view of the destination. So let me ask you, do you have the long view or the short view? See, most people live with the temporal view. But we're called to live with the eternal view, the long view. And one day you're going to remember for, once you're gone, the things you lived for while you were here. So what are you living for? I ran across this a while back. I thought it was funny, amazing, a little bit sad. But I want to show this to you. These are real tombstones. Apparently this guy loved his computer. I mean, he lived for his computer. This is a real headstone. It's a real tombstone. This is a 1980s-style computer. Remember those things? They were like big as a car. He apparently loved computers. Uh, This guy, for example, loved Scrabble. This is a real headstone, y'all. And apparently, this couple loved playing Scrabble. This is what they're remembered for now. You see, what you live for now is what you remember for later. Uh, This guy loved his car. As a matter of fact, they took his car and literally made his tombstone out of it. I mean, he lived for his car. He loved his car. Let me ask you, what are you living for? Are you living for the things that matter, the things that last forever? Are you living for things that will one day rust, decay, and fade away? See, leaders live with the end in view, the long view, not the short view. Uh, This person loved his motorcycle, born to be wild. That's not a Harley. Never mind. But apparently he loved it because he made a tombstone out of it. His friends, his family, this is what he's memorialized for. He's remembered for. This guy was an electrician. Let me tell you what it says if you can't read it. World's greatest electrician. Now, I don't know about you, but when I need an electrician, I want the world's greatest electrician. I do. But I don't want to be remembered for my job like I don't want to live for my job. It's not my identity. Not hopefully. Uh, This person loved playing pool. Apparently, this couple loved playing pool. Cheryl and Leon loved playing pool. Now, everybody that visits their headstone knows what they loved forever and ever more. And apparently, Scott Silva, God rest his soul, loved the Rolling Stones. I want to ask you, what are you living for? See, this is kind of a sad commentary. The things that you live for will be what you're remembered for. Let me ask you, are you making every decision in view of the destination? 
Here's the leadership principles. Get ready for the leadership summit this weekend. Spirit-led leaders live for an eternal mission. You see, the book of Acts is about that eternal mission. It's what should define every single Christian. We don't live for the things that don't last forever, that one day rust decay and will fade away. We want to live for the only two things that matter that last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men. And Jesus gave us this eternal mission. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years of church history. In Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And do you know the book of Acts is about the historical record of how the early church fulfilled this very mission. They took the gospel to the ends of the earth, the entire known world, in less than a century. And do you know the book of Acts is still being written? It is the only book in your Bible that does not end with a period. It ends with a dot, 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 because the acts of the church are still being recorded 2,000 years later in you and me. And the number one thing we can do individually or as a church family is this Acts 1 mandate. If we don't do this, nothing else will matter. We are renovating a building in the crossroads. We're about to launch a new expression of abundant life at 1840 Cherry. We took a 1940s warehouse. It's about to become a church house. Our irresistible campaign is to renovate the building next to it, an 1890s firehouse into Sunday school space for kids on Sunday morning, and an abundant life counseling center to bring hope to the city. But do you understand, those are just buildings. They're not trophies, they're merely tools. And one day, long after those buildings have crumbled and there's nothing left but the foundation, what happens in those buildings are truly going to matter. I'm talking about lives changed by Jesus. If we don't do this one thing, nothing else we do will matter because it will not last forever. And that's why the most important of all the irresistible initiatives we have is this right here, the Not Ashamed Initiative. A thousand people in our church have signed up to find their one. If you haven't signed up yet, you can do that today. It's the Acts 1-8 mission. You can go to livingproof.co slash not ashamed. Romans 1-16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And if you sign up, we're gonna equip you, we're gonna train you, we're gonna show you how to share the gospel, the good news with people in your life that God intersects your life with. Jesus told the parable in, the, in, in Luke chapter 15 of how the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go find the one. And do you know Jesus is that shepherd and he's always looking for that one. And I want you to know he sends us on that same mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And every single one of us should be looking for that one in our life in the next two years that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, as you find the one, the Spirit of God is looking for that one too. And today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to find how the person of God took the Son of God and the good news of the Word of God to that one, that someone. And I want you to see four things. It always begins with the Spirit of God. It never begins with you. It always begins with Him. It always begins with the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, he's not the disciple that became the apostle, rather one of the deacons that we saw emerge in the early days of Christianity. Remember last week, we had the martyrdom of Stephen, one of the deacons that emerged in early Christianity. Remember that leadership principle, 
leaders multiply themselves and others. So we saw this in Acts chapter 6, how the 12 apostles multiplied themselves and other leaders. One of them was Stephen. Another one was this man today we're going to study by the name of Philip. Remember last week we studied the martyrdom of Stephen. And we saw how that martyrdom of Stephen and that persecution actually is what began the early Christians to scatter from Jerusalem. They finally started going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the blood of the martyrs was, in fact, the seed of the church. And by murdering Stephen for his faith, those that opposed Jesus actually poured fire, uh, gasoline, on this fire, and it spread this fire of the gospel. And early Christianity was, in fact, like fire that spread through dry timber, and it all began with Stephen's martyrdom. Now they've scattered out. They're dispersing from Jerusalem, and they're taking the gospel with them wherever they're going. Philip was one of them, one of those early deacons. And we're told in Acts chapter 8, he goes up to Samaria, and he preaches the gospel, and thousands and thousands and thousands of Samaritans are now following Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. Remember what Jesus said, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria. Samaria was a city and a region about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. Now we're not done. We're going to see how God begins taking the good news of the gospel and extending it to the ends of the earth. Let's pick it up right here in Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now you hear about the Gaza Strip on the news all the time, even today. Very same region. Now what's interesting to me is the Spirit of God thought you needed to know that this is desert. I'll tell you why that's important. Because Philip has been preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands and multitudes of people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and now God tells him to do something that doesn't make sense. I want you to lead, the, I want you to lead behind the crowds of people where revival is happening, and I want you to go down to the desert where nobody's living. It didn't make any sense. I mean, God, why would you have me go to the desert where nobody lives, there's nothing there, it is completely desolate, and leave what you're doing with thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus? I'll tell you why, because God is not just about the masses. He's about you. He's not just about the masses of humanity. He's about the one. And there's someone in that desert that's about to find the one who has the power to save them. And God is loving the one. He is searching for the one. And he's about to use someone to find that one. It says, so he arose and went. I want you to notice Philip is a spirit-led leader. One of the marks of spirit-led people is they immediately obey the spirit of God in them. I don't understand why you want me to leave all of this where masses of people are getting saved, coming to faith in Jesus, and you want me to go to the desert where nobody lives. All right, here I go. That's the mark of someone who's being filled with the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit. It says, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Who is this Ethiopian man? He is a eunuch within the queen's inner cabinet, a very powerful, influential Ethiopian that has power over all of her treasury. Now, the word Candace is probably not her name. It's actually a title, much like Pharaoh. And when you hear the word Ethiopia in the first century, don't just think about the modern country of Ethiopia. It was that, but it was a lot more than that. It's the ancient kingdom of Nubia, or the kingdom of Cush. And it lied just south of Egypt, and at the time of Philip in the first century, it was considered the ends of the earth. Like nobody knew what was beyond there. Nobody ever ventured beyond there. And so we're going to see how the gospel, in fact, goes to the end of the earth by first century standards. You have this Ethiopian man that's traveled 1,500 miles to Jerusalem seeking the true and living God. He does not know the true and living God, but he somehow has heard of the true and living God. He knows about the true and living God. He's come to find the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Incidentally, this Ethiopian man came to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to find God. It's a bit of a mystery. We don't know how an Ethiopian man would have known about the true and living God, but there's a lot of people who think they know, and did you know that even today in modern Ethiopia, there are bands of Ethiopians, Africans, who claim to have a lineage back to the ancient Hebrews, Jews. And did you know that modern technology, DNA technology, has in fact proven that they are somehow descended from ancient Hebrews? Remarkable. Don't know how. It's a real mystery in all probability what happened during the Babylonian invasion in 605 BC as Nebuchadnezzar was coming to take those Hebrews back to Babylon and pillage Jerusalem. There were Hebrews that escaped knowing the Babylonians were coming, and they escaped and went south into North Africa. And in all probability, many, many centuries later, this Ethiopian man knew about the God of the Bible because of what happened centuries earlier. Even today, there are people, Ethiopians, who are Jews by religion. We don't know how for sure, but this man comes 1,500 miles to find God. He's heard about God. He's a true seeker. And I want you to see what happens. The Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Here's the process. When God finds the one, God the Father sends the Spirit to draw the seeker to God's Son. Long before there was Philip, it was the Spirit of God that was already moving in this man's life. The Spirit of God had already pricked the heart of this man, wooing him to find God, wooing him to begin seeking God, so much so that he travels 1,500 miles trying to find God. He comes to Jerusalem in the Jewish temple. He's heard about God, but he still doesn't know God. He undoubtedly is going home now in disappointment. He is still searching, not quite there, and God God knows his heart that he's truly seeking, and so God says someone to find the one to explain the gospel because God loves this one. I want you to notice what happens. God the Father sends the Spirit to draw the seeker to God's Son. Jesus put it this way in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
See, nobody comes to faith in Jesus when they want, how they want. There's a window of opportunity for every human being. The Spirit of God opens the door, opens the window, and if you don't step through the window, there's no guarantee that window's not going to shut. No one comes to me, Jesus said, except my Father in heaven draws him. This Ethiopian man is being drawn by the Spirit of God to know the Son of God. How about you? I'm trying to tell you that the Spirit of God is drawn drawing you to the Son of God, do not delay. Because there's no guarantee. The window of opportunity won't close. Because we don't come to him whenever we want. Ephesians 2, 1 says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. See, sin does not simply make us bad. It makes us dead. Which is why Jesus said, you must be born again. He wants to give life to your spirit. That means the number one thing we can do for the people in our life, friends, family member, coworkers that don't know Jesus, listen, the number one thing we can do is not to begin bombing them with Bible verses. Oh, that one's gonna land. No, it's not to walk around with you know, the sandwich board you know, on the front side when you die and then you turn around, you will fry. Probably not a great method of evangelism. No, the number one thing you can do is just begin to pray. You begin to pray for them because the Spirit of God must intercede for them. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to them that are perishing in whose heart the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. See, the problem is not that they are bad. The problem is that they are blind. They cannot see the gospel, the good news, the light has not shined into them because the gospel has been veiled unto them. Satan has blinded them. And the number one thing we can do is begin to pray for them. God, would you set them free? God, set them free from the deception, the distortion of Satan. They have to be wrenched loose. It's a power encounter. The power of God is greater. And that's what we need to pray, is that God would begin to wrench them loose, that the light of the gospel would shine unto them. I got this letter two weeks ago in the mail. And it was interesting, first of all, nobody calls me Philip but my two sisters. I thought, wow, which one of my sisters wrote me a letter? It's the best handwriting I've ever seen. I wrote, I opened it up, and it was, it was not signed by anybody. I promised myself many years ago I would not read letters that aren't signed any longer but then the curiosity always kills me. <laughs> so I read it again. This wasn't a bad letter, but I found it to be a sad letter from a precious, precious lady in our church that's been coming for over a year. She was writing to ask me to pray for her. She's, she's seeking God, much like this Ethiopian. She's, she's come to church. To find God. This Ethiopian came to the Jewish temple to find God, but she knows she has not yet found him. She knows of him. She believes in him. I want you to read just a part of it because it, it describes a lot of people today in our world. Listen, I'm going to do something today that I have never done publicly until now. There, I did it. Historically, I'm much too prideful. God's dealing with my pride, okay? I want to read this, and I hope this precious lady is under the sound of my voice because we're going to pray for you before the day is over. 
I, I don't have time to read it all. She says, there is some kind of block or barrier, a concrete block in my stubborn head that will not allow me to open my heart, mind, and soul to God. I know that I believe in God. I try my hardest to follow God's will. I know that I would do anything to gain a spot in heaven with him for eternity, but I don't know how to let him in. We're in the book of Acts right now, and it just so happens that what I'm looking for is the Holy Spirit. I'm lacking the Holy Spirit. What you all are teaching us is welcoming the Holy Spirit. Coincidence? No. God is speaking through you all to get to us. We hear him loud and clear, and we're trying to reach him. But I think it's time to ask for help. I wanted to write you because I'm not the only one who feels like this. And all I'm asking is that you please pray for us and please never give up on us. I want you to know, sweet, precious lady, we will never give up on you. We love you. I love you. We love you. But our love cannot help you. It's God's love that can change you. And she's asked us to pray. She realizes, I know about God, I believe in God, but I don't really know God. Something is keeping me from fully giving my heart to God. And she's asked us to pray. Would you join me in praying right now, wherever you are in the world, let's pray right now for this dear lady, and let's pray for so many others like her that are truly, truly seeking. God in heaven, we petition you for the soul of this precious woman. God in heaven, we petition you that today would be the day of salvation. I pray against the God of this age that blinds the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto you. Jesus, you said, I have all power and authority in heaven and upon earth. Satan, you have no authority in this body of abundant life. You have to relinquish control of any person under the sound of my voice. And I pray that today, Lord Jesus, you would intercede for this woman, that today would be the day that you would redeem her soul, that you would wrench her loose from sin and Satan and distortion and deception, that the light of the gospel would shine unto her, that she'd know the joy of knowing Jesus. And we pray for thousands and thousands and ten thousands and thousands more like her in the years ahead, lives changed by Jesus. And we prayed in the powerful name of Jesus, and all the church said, amen. I want you to know, I'm going to come off this platform when I get done preaching. I'm going to stand right there. And if you, sweet lady, are here today, I will meet you right here. And I will pray with you. Or maybe you're like her. Maybe you're seeking. And today's the day you need to be saved. I'm going to stand right here and give you a chance to come. And we're going to pray together. If you're not here, there's going to be people near wherever you are. We're here to help you find Jesus. I want you to see that we live at a time where it's common to think if you're a child of God, if you know God, well, you know, the world's turning against God. Everybody hates God. They don't want to talk about God. Not true. Now, there are people who hate God. In fact, in Western civilization, the statistics say there's more and more people who hate God, atheists who hate God. It always amazes me how there are people who hate God when they don't believe in God. How do you hate somebody that doesn't exist? But do you understand most people don't hate God? Even atheists in your life, people that don't believe in God, they don't hate God. They just don't know God. 
And God is intersecting your life with people that are far from God so you can bring them near. And this is what happens now in Acts chapter 8. Here's a man that was far from God, but he was truly seeking God. And as we look for our one, we need to look for fertile soil, looking for that one who's genuinely seeking. Sometimes I hear people say, Phil, um, I I think I found my one. My my one is my neighbor. Now, they they hate God. I mean, I don't want to talk about God, but they're the one. Well, maybe. Scatter some seed there. But understand, Jesus taught the parable of the sowers. Remember the parable of the sowers? How the seed of God's word, sometimes it's scattered on stony ground, hard ground, has no chance of actually germinating because it's hard ground. It's not good ground. You need to learn to look for good ground. You know how you find good ground, soft soil for the word of God, the people in your life? It's not the people that want to debate you, but rather people want to have a dialogue with you. See the difference? You will never debate someone into salvation. You will never ever um, you know, say the right things and logically, rationally, you know, finally you deliver a zinger that they just, just have to believe. Not going to happen. No, what you want to do is look for that soft ground, a seeker that generally wants to have a conversation. They generally want to have some questions answered. They're really looking. Not somebody that's just debating. And this is what happens now in Acts chapter 8. This Ethiopian man is a true seeker. And because of that, the Spirit of God has moved him to begin seeking the true and living God. And now the true and living God is going to send the person of God. And this is what happens next. Anytime you find the one, it begins with the Spirit of God that's working in that person's life long before you get there. And God knows when it's time as the Spirit of God has prepared the heart to send the person of God. This is what happens next. Verse 29. Then the Spirit of God said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And so you have Philip now who leaves the big revival and the big crowds of people in Samaria for reasons unknown. He travels a hundred miles down to Gaza. It's desert. Nobody's there. But somewhere in the distance, he sees a chariot and it's running south. And the Spirit of God says, Philip, I want you to run to catch up to that chariot. And so you have Philip. He runs and catches up. And now he's running next to the chariot. He hears this guy reading from the prophet Isaiah. Says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no. Philip says, you want me to explain it to you? The guy says, yeah, come on up here. That's what happens. Look what happens here. He says, and he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. See, this is the mark of someone who's ready for the word of God. He's ready now for the person of God. This is a true seeker. He's looking for a conversation. He's not looking for a debate. He generally wants to have a dialogue. And God has purposely intersected Philip's life with this Ethiopian man's life. And God wants to intersect your life with so many other people in your life. And the Spirit of God sends the person of God to share the good news of the Son of God. You see, this is always the process as Jesus seeks and saves the one. He looks for the one, the Spirit of God begins to move the one, and then God says someone, the person of God, to share the Word of God under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And this is what now happens. Romans 10, 14. 
How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Philip has preached the gospel to thousands in Samaria. Now he's preaching to an audience of one. And do you know God's called us all to be a preacher of the gospel? No, you may never have a platform, and they've never preached from the pulpit. You may never have a title pastor, but God's called every single person here to be a preacher. And it may be that audience of one, that one that needs to hear the good news, that needs to hear the gospel. How then shall they preach unless they are sent? This is why we say all the time, we're all called to live sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. As I'm sitting in my chair this week, Praying and preparing the sermon, I read this very passage in the Bible. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And as I read this very passage, I look up from my Bible, and this is what I see. I literally think to myself, God, really? Beautiful? Now, this may be a little TMI, like, Phil, please keep your shoes on. Okay. I mean, God, really, thing of beauty. Because me, I'm just being honest. Like, I think the ugliest part of the human anatomy are feet. Feet are weird. They're the weirdest thing God ever created on a human being. And I don't think they're a thing of beauty. Personally, I think feet are ugly. It doesn't matter what you do with your feet. Ladies, you're precious. But you got ugly feet. It's just my opinion. I'm saying, just go ahead, paint those toenails, do the pedicure, get a toe ring, but your feet are ugly. <laughs> no, it's not you, it's me too. I got ugly feet. We all got ugly feet. Here, here's one I want you to see. What we think is a thing that's ugly, God says, oh no, that's a thing of beauty. That's a thing of beauty. See, it was people's feet that literally took the gospel in the first century, tens of thousands and thousands of miles, one step at a time. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring the gospel of good news. Whoever's sharing the gospel, God says, you have beautiful feet. Now today, we have the ability to travel the world in less than 24 hours. We could wake up in Lee Summit, Missouri, and go to bed in Istanbul all in the same day. But in those early days of Christianity, they literally carried the gospel by their feet, one step at a time, tens of thousands of miles, literally, to the ends of the earth. Today, you don't have to travel tens of thousands walking the whole way. Today, all you got to do is walk across the street. Sometimes it's as simple as walking next door. Sometimes it's as simple as walking across the hall. Sometimes just walking around the cubicle to your coworker. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. You see, it always begins with the Spirit of God. We are desperate for them. Begin praying the Spirit of God would reveal the light of the Word of God and the gospel of the Son of God to those in your life that are far from God. But then understand, you've been sent as the person of God to those that are far from God to bring the Word of God. And this is what happens next. It begins with the Spirit of God. God sends the person of God. The person of God now brings the word of God. Look at what it says. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, written 700 years B.C., and he's reading from that very famous chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, of the suffering Messiah. By his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, this eunuch was reading it, but he was confused by it. He asked the question. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? See, God sent the person of God to explain the word of God preceded by the Spirit of God, and this is exactly now what's going to happen. Then Philip, it says, opened his mouth and beginning at the Scripture, preach Jesus to him. See, if you want to find your one, at some point, you got to take a risk and engage your mouth. you got to take a risk and open your mouth. Years ago, there was something called lifestyle evangelism. It basically taught if you just live as a really good Christian and a really godly Christian, you set a really good example, then you don't need to say a thing because your life will say it all. That's not true. There are lots of people who don't know Jesus that live actually a Christ-like life in many ways. I've known some very kind, generous people that don't know God. Hey, there are atheists that are good people by human standards. Buddhists are good people. I mean, gentle people, they make good neighbors. So you can't just live your life for Jesus and expect people to come to faith. It begins with your life. Your life gives you the credibility. Your life gives you the ability to be heard. But eventually, you've got to open your lips and share the gospel. And I realize there are days we just want to take the day off. I flew to San Diego this week, and I I try to make a habit of never getting in a cab or Uber without having some type of gospel conversation, because here I am. I'm like, I will never see this guy again. It is not an accident. It's providence that I got in his car. And that's happened to me over and over again. So I get in the cab this week, and we're driving to Oceanside. It's 45 minutes from San Diego. I hear the Spirit of God. Well, I'm like, God, I just honestly, I just want to take the day off. I'm just, really, I just, just want to relax. Just, well, it's a 45-minute drive. 20 minutes later, well, all right, so here I go, engage. So I asked him, where are you from? I could tell he wasn't from San Diego. He says, I'm from Kyrgyzstan. Got here 30 years ago. Really, that's awesome, Wonderful. Are you a religious man? Now, I've done this before. Most of the time, there's Muslim. He wasn't Muslim. Are you a religious man? I'm Jewish. Really? I love Jewish people. I'm a Christian. I have a Jewish Savior. He says, yeah, I'm I married to a Christian. Oh, wonderful, really. L- let me ask you, what do you think of Jesus? And right then, the conversation ended. He did not want to talk about Jesus. Sometimes that's as far as you can take it. You simply plant the seed of the gospel. That's it. Sometimes you can't take it any farther. And to push on a hardened heart only makes it harder. 
So sometimes our job is only to mention Jesus, to bring a God awareness, a God consciousness. Other times it's to take it farther. Somebody's already had that conversation. Who had that conversation? God is slowly wooing him and revealing himself to him. But you don't get there if you never open up your mouth and share the gospel. People say, well, Phil, I don't know how to. Yes, you do. If you're a Christian, just tell somebody what you did, what God did for you. See, the most powerful thing you have is your story of how Jesus found you and changed you. People can argue with what you say, but they cannot argue with what they see, your life that was changed. And if indeed you sign up for the Not Ashamed initiative, we'll help you, we'll train you, we'll show you the gospel bridge. It's just a way to share the good news of the gospel. I learned by memorizing the Romans Road. You don't have to be a PhD in theology, doctorate of divinity. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to. You just need to know that Jesus died for your sin and rose again. There's the gospel, Romans 3 and verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the good news is good, but the bad news gets worse. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 5 and verse 12, as by one man's sin, that's Adam, death entered the world. So death passed on all men, for all have sinned. The good news is bad, but the, uh, the, the bad news is bad, but the good news is great. Because Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call on the name of Jesus and say, save me. Jesus, I want you. That's it. That's all you got to do. Say, Jesus, I want you. Guess what? He wants you too. Say, Jesus, I receive you. Guess what? He receives you too. What are you waiting on? If you're this young lady or someone like her, you know what Jesus said? What shall it profit a man or a woman if they should gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, there comes a point in your life that you've got to decide, I want Jesus more than anything else, more than even your sin. You want him. And Jesus promises to forgive you. It's what Jesus called being born again, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God sends the spirit of God and then the person of God to bring the word of God. And when you put those three things together, you get a new child of God. A new life is born. And that's what happens on this day in Acts chapter eight. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's the profession of faith, the declaration of faith, the Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now what happens next? He gets baptized. Baptism is simply an outer expression 
of that inner decision. It's a symbol and a shadow, not the source of your salvation. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And there was a new life that was born that day in this Ethiopian man that came to Jerusalem to find God. And God sent the person of God to introduce to him the Son of God. The Spirit of God prepared a divine appointment for the gospel. And a child of God was born. Church, listen. We have these divine appointments every single day. It is never an accident. It's providence that you live on the block that you do because people there need to know Jesus through you. Where you go to work is never just about paying the bills and getting a career. No, the people where you work need to know Jesus and they will not know Jesus apart from you. As the Father has sent me, so send I now you. And if you are a living sent, you will start to see these divine appointments every single day. But if you're not living sin, if you're living for the things that are now, not the things that last forever, those moments come and go. And only in heaven will you look behind you and realize how many lost opportunities God has sent you. And what's amazing to me is that you never should underestimate the impact eternally when even one soul is redeemed. We don't know how for sure this happened. What we know is the kingdom of Ethiopia was actually Christianized faster and before even the Roman Empire. Even today, there are Ethiopians that are Christians that date their family tree spiritually back centuries. Now, we don't know for sure how that happened, but I surmise it began with a very influential Ethiopian man that on that day in the desert, he gave his life to Jesus, he heard the gospel, and he took the good news home with him. And three centuries later, the kingdom of Nubia declared the official state religion Christianity. The gospel has the power to change your life but it never ends with your life. One life changed leads to many other lives that are changed. A changed life changes lives. It goes on and on and on like a ripple from a stone thrown in a pond. The ripples go on and on and on, generation after generation after generation. I started to tell you a story a while back. I didn't have time. I wanna finish my story today, even though I don't have time. Year was 1943. I told you a few months ago about my grandmother. She's just a, a young lady, a young mom. 1943, she's all alone. Her husband's off to war, been deployed for World War II, living in an apartment by herself. She's carrying her first baby. Here's a knock on the door, opens the door. It's a stranger, does not know her. The stranger invites her to come to church. There's a new church in town that just started, the old Kansas City Baptist Temple. Now, my grandmother did not know God. She was not raised in a religious home. What religion she had was a distortion. It was deception. It was Mormon. She did not know the true and living God. She'd never heard the gospel, but she was lonely. Guess what? She went to church that next Sunday. Two weeks later, she heard the gospel. She gave her life to Jesus, became a Christian, and that little baby she was carrying was my mother. Exactly 25 years later, little baby Phil, before there was Pastor Phil, would sit on that same lady's lap. 
it could be argued that there'd have been no Pastor Phil had there not been some unknown somebody that loved others enough to find their one. Some stranger, I don't even know her name, knocked on my grandmother's door, invited her to church, apart from which there'd have been no baby Phil, which means there'd been no Pastor Phil. Somebody said recently, well, if there was no Pastor Phil, there'd been no abundant life. Now, I don't know about that. I don't think I'm that important that God couldn't raise up another had there been no Pastor Phil. But the point they were making is there's no abundant life if there's no Pastor Phil, and there's no Pastor Phil if there wasn't a baby Phil, and there wouldn't have been a baby Phil had someone not knocked on her door as a young, expecting mother. See, one life change changes many, many others. 27 years after this picture, there was this picture, baby Jake, who sat on that same lady's lap, my son, my firstborn, who's now 27 years old, that will one day have his own baby, and he'll raise his family to know and love Jesus. See, the impact of that one decision to knock on one door, heaven only knows. The thousands and thousands and thousands of destinies altered eternally from one moment in time. It goes on and on and on and on. Even one person's salvation has the power to affect future generations eternal destinations. Jesus, I pray for every person, God, today. Please, oh God, I pray today. The eyes of every person would be open. The eyes of their heart. That the light of the gospel today would shine into every darkened heart. I pray for this precious lady as I have every day for the last two weeks. God, that if she's under the sound of my voice, today would be the day of salvation. I'm gonna pray right now, wherever you are sitting, wherever you're watching from, worshiping from, Blue Springs, Independence, the church houses, all over this country, right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, if you don't know today of your destiny eternally, I'm gonna pray. You can pray with me right where you sit. God will hear your prayer. Jesus said in John 6, I will in no way cast out anyone that comes to me. And if today you come to Jesus, he will not cast you away. Just pray, pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that apart from you, I will never get to heaven. But I believe you died for my sin, and that you rose again. And today I want you, I choose you. Thank you for wanting and choosing me too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.